Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash Internet for details. Hi guys, I hope you're well. As always, before we delve into this week's episode, we are really quickly going to run through the itinerary so you're familiar with exactly what we're going to be covering. So we had a very special guest in Carl Anker, who is currently a, uh, a reporter for The Athletic covering Southampton. And we got to find out a bit about his career today and some of the interesting things that he's done. We then asked him to review the uh, recent um, album released by Stormzy, uh, given the fact that he was asked by NME to do uh, exactly that. Uh, so we picked his brains on his favorite song on that album so far. We then spoke about the uh, recent news that we heard of uh, Russia being uh, banned from the next World Cup and asked the gentlemen uh, around the table their thoughts on that particular issue. Before then delving into this week's uh, fixtures um, and the re- recent news of the appointment of Carlo Ancelotti at uh, Everton. I also asked the boys to review um, the round of 16 for the uh, uh, Champions League and asked them who would win in each of those ties, as well as asking them for their favourites uh, to lift the trophy um, uh, when it's all said and done. Uh, before asking each of the gentlemen to uh, give their prospect of the week. Just a disclaimer, it got quite heated. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge and I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators Dot and Dej. Gents, how's it going? I'm good Budge man, how are you bro? Very well, very very well, feeling good. Feeling fresh as ever. It, we're, 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 we're nearing Christmas, yeah, ever yeah. so close. So uh, I'm just clawing my way there at work. Um, but yeah, yeah, really looking forward to having some downtime over this Christmas break, man. That's good, bro, man. That's good. 100%. How about you, Dej? 
Yeah, I'm hey. good. A bit battered and bruised from yesterday's football <laughs> session. I was taking a lot of knocks, but yeah, I'm happy to be here as usual. And yeah, let's get the party started, bro. 100%. 100%. I saw uh, some of the, the content that you posted yeah. on Twitter as Nabi well. Nabi season. Yeah. <laughs> you saw the dribbling. Yeah, they couldn't yeah, get lung busting runs into the, into the opposition box. Uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, sure it was a good we love to see. <laughs> Um, now, we are also joined by a very, very special guest. Um, he's, he, he's not uh, in the studio, but we have him on, on, on conference. So we're testing a, a slightly different format today, aren't we, boys? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, Headphones so, in and all of, of that. Of course, of <laughs> course, of course. Well. <laughs> so so this, this, this particular gentleman uh, is a very special guest. Um, he is, he is a, a, a quirky personality, if I've ever met one. Um, <laughs> a, a, a rainbow of words and emotions, this yeah. gentleman. Um, he uh, has a history of uh, creative writing and, uh, cult- and, and cultural studies. Um, and he's also known in his, in, in his writing style for making a lot of uh, pop culture references. <laughs> he's the Manchester United fan that everyone hates and the sworn <laughs> enemy of Jose Mourinho. Um, he moved to Southampton uh, earlier on this year, July 20th to be exact. Um, and you know, this, 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 this gentleman is, is the go-to guy for all things Southampton yep, FC. Yep. Um, and I mean, he is, he, of course, at the moment he's, at, he's at the athletic and he's uh, specializing in, in Southampton. But I, I, I tell you what, this guy, um, has, has, a a, a lot of strings to his bow. 100%. Um, and, and, and before, uh, joining the athletic, he, uh, has quite a decorated CV having interviewed and, and, and rubbed shoulders with some of the elite sports people <laughs> in, 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 in the world, actually. Mm. Um, he's had interviews with The Rock and Kevin wow, Hart. Wow, wow. Uh, a host of <laughs> WWE superstars, one of which uh, was uh, Seamus, um, who's actually a, a Liverpool fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah I yeah, know yeah. Seamus. Of course, of course, of course. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm eager to uh, uh, get the, the lowdown from him. So I'm not going to waste any more time. Without further ado, we welcome Carl Anker to the platform. Anchorman, Anchorman. Welcome, Anchorman 616. How are you? How are you doing, man? Wow. That is, that is quite the introduction. I don't think I've ever been introduced. Everybody like says that. that. In my life. Carl, everyone says that. I'm you know. flat. I'm we honest. never get that treatment. But... Yeah, Bush doesn't introduce me like that. I made it to be appearing on this podcast as a special guest. Carl, Carl we, we really appreciate you um, taking out the time to, to, to jump on the pod. We understand, of course, you know, you're a busy guy and you're, of course, all the way up in uh, in Southampton, so we really do, you know, appreciate you you, you taking the time out of this evening to to spend some time with us. Um, so thank 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 you so much, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Well, I've, I've wanted to get on this podcast for a bit, and I said we met at the Football Blacklist Awards, and yeah. I said mm-hmm. let's get this done in December. And he, here we go. December came around quick, fam. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it seems like yesterday when we met. Honestly, you, you know, honestly, time flies, man. Great, great stuff. Now, this is definitely one that uh, the listeners are going to uh, really, really appreciate. Um, and we've got a lot to cover, so let's let's get it cracking. Now, what we'd like to start off with, um, uh, Carl, is basically just a, a brief intro into, you know, your backstory and, and how you ended up at The Athletic. Like we sort of uh, mentioned in, in, in the intro, you've obviously done a lot of really, really interesting stuff. You've worked with uh, loads of different companies. Um, you've had the opportunity to um, meet and interview some really, really great people. Um, so how did that all come about? Oh man, 
I, I still have no idea. So <laughs> in, regard, in regards to The Athletic, I was working uh, as a full-time freelancer for the Players' Tribune mm-hmm. last season. Um, so I was working for Twitter at the start of 2018 and then just before the 2018-19 football season and the World Cup, um, the Players' Tribune slid into my DMs on Twitter and said, hey, we got a whole bunch of World Cup content that we need to make sure is... We're an American company. We need to make sure it's it's football rather than soccer and make sure we understand <laughs> all the correct idioms. Could you do that for us? Uh, and I, I went, yeah, sure thing. I'll, I'll give this a go. Uh, so I did that for a little bit of the World Cup. Uh, some of you may remember some of the, the really cool Play Tribune articles that went out. We, it was called World Cup 32. So the mm-hmm. idea was to have... The, the, the goal was to have a player from every single country. I think by the end, we got to 23 nations represented by that world cup which is pretty cool mm-hmm. not bad yeah. yeah so it's really hard to get some of those countries represented strangely enough uh so i did that and then we went into the premier league season and while i was doing that some very very nice people at the athletic in the united states offered me the chance to freelance covering Manchester united i was very confused because i was very much what i but I, I live in london <laughs> i can't get to the press conferences and i went no it's fine it's just you're really funny so go be really funny and off the wall. <laughs> um and i had a really fun freelance season working for the athletic soccer uh, I used the Trojan War to explain Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's interim phase. I used <laughs> <laughs> I tried using Slaughterhouse Five to describe the three-two Manchester United victory over Newcastle. Uh, there was a point in time where I wrote an article about how Mourinho clearly sold his soul to the devil to make. <laughs> wow! Wow! I swear, well, I, I went. The reason Mourinho always explodes in the third season is because at some point, the is because. The thing that everyone misses out about Mourinho is everyone praises him for the 3-1 he got with Inter Milan against Barcelona. Mm-hmm. There's an asterisk over that game because mm. that massive volcano in Iceland exploded, erupted, and then <laughs> no, no, Barcelona, Barcelona couldn't fly for that game. So they had to travel via coach. took two extra days to get there. They, their preparation for that game was absolute toilet. Mm. And then they got hockey 3-1. So I wrote a piece going, imagine if Mourinho sold his soul to the devil to get this volcano to explode. Erupt even. Uh, and the devil's gone, okay, fine. Like This will happen. But now, every third season, you'll be doomed. <laughs> so I want to write that. And they didn't say no. So that that's the sort of impression wow, of that's what interesting. I get at the mm. I can sort of, I'm allowed... Uh, I'm given a large amount of leeway to write football. It certainly not, does seem that way. Yeah. Um, so that was nice. I did that freelance. And then at the... I think it was the, the week of the Champions League final. Um, obviously, they were setting up the Athletic UK to, to make their big Premier League play. And uh, in amongst all that, I was given an approach and saying, how would you like a full-time job? I went, yeah, cool. Uh, and they said, how would you feel about relocating to Southampton? And I went, yeah, okay. The boss man said, <laughs> the boss man said I can uh, pretend I'm in northern France. As I'm sitting from my bedroom window right now, it very much does not look, look like <laughs> So what can you see right now in your where you are? I'm looking at a car park right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not the glamorous of settings, but yeah. We so, so, so you work from home most days then? Yeah. If I'm not working from home, I'm working from the library in Southampton. So wow, I, wow. I live, I, I live in a, I got a fairly decent amount of digs mm-hmm. in Southampton. I got a nice home office and I, I work from there most days. Mm-hmm. I, I leave when I get a bit bored, I go for a walk or I go to the library and 
that's why some of my articles are a bit weird because sometimes I don't have someone to go, what are you doing? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and, and how does that differ from like, uh, you know, stand like life when you're back in London and uh, you had an office to, to work from? Like, and how many how- times do you come to London a month? Mm. Unless you're covering the uh, game, of course, obviously. <laughs> yeah, so obviously, I'm I'm on I'm on the road every fortnight for when Southampton play away from mm. home. Uh, I go to Staplewood Training Ground where Southampton train uh, once a week for the press conferences, mm-hmm. and then depending on what the story is, what's going on, I can I do have freedom to move up and around the country, if not the world. So let's say, for example. Um, we decide we want to write the all-encompassing be-all and end-all piece about Raf Hassel. Mm-hmm. Um, that would probably involve me going to Austria for a bit, wouldn't it? So, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, that those are things that are within the athletics remit, and of if we can. The great thing about working at the athletic is I've never been told no on an idea. I've always been told, "Can you prove it?" Mm, that's mm. what you were telling us at the yeah, blacklist yeah. when we were speaking. That's uh, interesting. Mm. And can you prove it means can you prove it via stats can you prove it via talking to people that were there can you prove it by talking to someone's dad can you prove it but to by just writing like the greatest author of all time mm-hmm. uh, i can do one i'm not and i'm trying to learn number two and maybe from like 50 years from now i can try and do number three <laughs> but th- that, that's the joy right it's the joy of you seeing something at a football pitch mm. and then going can i prove this to uh audience of thousands that's that's mm. really, really it seems like the athletic have given you you know a platform to you know express yourself mm. and you know maybe certain other organizations won't do that but the athletic seem very open-minded mm. you know in exploring new avenues and that's why i respect the platform because i'm a subscriber myself and mm-hmm. ever since i've signed up the quality of pieces like you know the the thoroughness of yeah. the research attention to detail yeah, yeah, it's it's quality is second to none yeah, no, hundred percent, and and I think it is it's right up your street, you know. Given your 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 strengths and your talents, I think it it, it plays hand in hand hundred you know, with, with the role that you you've been given. So that's great. All right, so we're we're gonna move on. Um, so as we usually like to do, we are gonna basically talk about some um uh, sort of wider uh, um uh, content in terms of. Uh, uh, things that have happened in the footballing world um, recently before we do a deep dive into the weekend's fixtures. Before we do that, one thing that I I, I read recently and and, and saw was that you were asked by NME to review Stormzy's uh, uh, most recent album, Heavy is the Head, Carl. (laughs) I read it. Yes, I was. Um, what I want, before before we move on, I need to ask you, what is your favourite song on that album? Oh man, that's a uh, Wiley Flow. Wiley Flow is the one I've listened to. The okay, most. okay. Cool. I think the interesting thing about Stormzy's album and quite a few albums that came out last year is albums now are getting really, really big and long because of streaming. So it's mm. less. Let's release the best ten tracks possible, and now let's release the best sixteen, mm. and then everyone will make their best eight track or ten track album from that. So. Right. Both Stormzy albums, I think, have happened. Gang Signs and Prayer and Heavy's Ahead. They're both really big. They're mm-hmm. both nearly, you know, Heavy's Ahead is 54 minutes long. Mm-hmm. And it's 16 tracks. And I think there is not, I can't imagine a music fan that likes, that loves every single track. Mm-hmm. But I know there, every single music fan will find at least seven to ten songs that will they, they will absolutely adore. Mm-hmm. But I don't particularly care when 
Stormzy is hanging out with Ed Sheeran. But that's still a very good song. Mm. And that's that's a good that's the really interesting thing about Stormzy is whenever Stormzy does something, it's always high quality because yeah, he's got yeah. to the point now where if he wants the best producer, if he wants the best classical musician, he can get the best classical musician. If he wants 100%. the best person who can play a flute, he gets the best person who can play a flute. So even when he's doing something you're not particularly interested in, you have to admire the craft and the quality that's gone into it. And I think that makes his albums particularly interesting about what happens when you've got complete total creative freedom mm-hmm. and you've also got like completely like you're also improving create as a creative at the same time because very often what you normally get is by the time you get to a point where you have complete creative freedom you've probably done like 15 albums and you're knackered you've got no ideas left mm-hmm. whereas Stormzy's getting complete creative freedom on album two yeah yeah that tour is going to be unreal yeah yeah 100% looking forward to that definitely so that's good. It's good to get your, your thoughts on that. Um, appreciate that, uh, Carl. So we're going to move on now to the first uh, general topic that we're going to discuss. And that is the fact that Russia have now been banned for uh, f- uh, four years um, from major sporting events uh, and tournaments, which includes the 2020 Olympics and the 2022 World Cup. Um, now, this is as a result of sort of, the, you know, their long standing history in terms of issues that they've had with with doping, uh, which sort of dates back to, you know, 10, 11 years back to 2008, 2009. Um, and so I guess uh, essentially what it is, is that, you know, their sort of anti doping agency has been deemed uh, not fit for purpose mm. by by WADA. Um, and, 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 you know, they've taken, of course, uh, very clearly stringent action um uh in um in, in in banning them from these tournaments to um you know stop this uh instance from from reoccurring uh so i guess i just wanted to hear your thoughts on 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 that um on that punishment um do you feel that that was necessary was it too harsh was it uh uh too soft um what 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 do you think doping is cheating so i feel that you need to give the strongest deterrent to stop this and nip this in the bud um, if you give a soft punishment, it's very likely to happen again. But mm-hmm. I feel that the stringent approach, as you mentioned, that they've administered will nip this in the bud. And I doubt we will see this from Russia again mm-hmm. when it comes to doping. Uh, hmm. So have you, have, uh, have you, any of you here seen the film Icarus on Netflix? No, no we haven't. Right. I highly recommend everyone watches Icarus. It's a documentary on Netflix from, uh, it's a sports journalist who is a pretty good cyclist. So he does the version of, so you've got the Tour de France and there's like an amateur Tour de France that you can all, that everyone can apply for. And he, he's a pretty good cyclist and he joins that one year and he finishes, you know, in the low thousands. He's not anywhere near the front. And then he basically goes, what would happen if I spend all year doping? Would I be able to get to a point while being the front? 30 in this competition Mm -hmm. so he goes he spends the entire year investigating sports doping uh how it's done uh what you would do if you want to do it what sports uh would lend themselves towards doping and once you if you watch that documentary you'll be convinced that everyone in sport dopes in it's one Mm -hmm. of those great documentaries that it starts off as one thing and by the end of it 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 ends as another thing Mm -hmm. and it completely you for a week you'll just think about doping you, mm-hmm. that's the only thing you want to talk about you you recommend watching icarus all your friends now mm-hmm. it is very very hard to talk about doping in sport 
on podcasts or in articles, especially when you live in the United Kingdom, because mm. hooray, libel laws exist. So, um, <laughs> what I will say is what I nearly often say, which is if doping exists in football, which it probably does, it most likely happens on a team basis. Mm. So it's very unlikely that your star left back at a top European club is by himself mm. doing blood transfusions mm -hmm. or taking testosterone or taking HDH. It's very mm -hmm. unlikely that one player is doing that by themselves without the knowledge of a football club. What is much more likely is a coaching staff or a medical staff is working together to make sure a group of players is doing something. Mm -hmm. Now, in the sport of football, if doping does exist in football, which it most likely does, because I can't really say that, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. which it most likely does because doping exists in, it seems to exist in most major sports because mm -hmm. basically there's so much money involved in sports that someone is trying to dope. And when I say it probably does, I'm not saying it doping exists in the Premier League or I'm, I'm not saying it exists in the Champions League mm -hmm, or I'm not mm -hmm. saying it exists in any form of football that you currently televised. But I am saying there is most likely a team somewhere that has a doping <laughs> Or, as we now know from what's gone on with the Russian news, mm -hmm. that there is a chance that one team in Russia at somewhere in their pyramid may have engaged in doping. Now, if doping does exist in football, it is not in the you get really, really strong and you can break records. But of course, of course. If it does exist, it most likely exists in the form of injury recovery. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, and again, this comes from Icarus. So uh, there's some, some particularly interesting bits in Icarus about the sport of do about doping and how it's influenced on rugby. So at any point in time, if you've got a rugby team, 10% of your rugby players will be injured because rugby is a brutal sport. Your blunt force trauma, blah, 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 blah. But what you've seen recently and what has been quite ob like obvious is rugby players are getting bigger, faster, and stronger. And they're still doing big hits, but also they're recovering from what should be three to six month injuries mm. in two months. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of that. Um, and that's rugby, and that's the sport of rugby. And there's been, if you, <laughs> the really interesting thing about uh, sports like this is because of like the way libel laws work in the United Kingdom compared to the way libel laws work. Uh, some of the best reports you can find on this are in are in Irish newspapers. So um, the Lance Armstrong was eventually outed as a drug cheat by a Republic of Ireland newspaper by the Irish Times because the libel laws there are better. Um, so if you ever want to find stuff like this out, you should every now and again, check out the Irish Times. Yeah, I fully uh, agree with you, Carl. I mean, wherever there's money, there's always, you know, a chance of corruption. We've seen it in tennis. We've seen it in boxing. And, you know, there's been rumours that it's in football and stuff. When you talk about players recovering faster, it's very difficult to, you know, nip it in the bud because there's not that transparency. But again, when people are caught, it's up to the relevant authorities to, you know, nip it in the bud and, you know, make strong, strong sanctions you know, to ensure it doesn't creep into sport. Because when we watch sport, we watch it in its rawest form. We take it for what it is. But there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes that we're not privy to. You see in athletics a lot that someone will win or break a record and you're thinking, you know what, is this for real? So it's very, very dangerous. 
cool. Uh, really One thing I will also say is mm. I find it very, I find it very particularly, particularly interesting that Russia has been banned from the next World Cup, but they will be allowed the Euros um, due mm. to the fact that I believe the phrasing Euros was aren't deemed a, 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 a major sporting. And are they hosting? I think they're playing at home in one of the games or something like that. Which it, it tickled me simply, obviously. Uh, I think Messi fans found that particularly interesting in their ongoing war against Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> Fair point. All right. So thanks uh, for, for giving your thoughts on, on that particular issue, guys. Um, I guess it's, it's, it's one that we'll just have to sort of wait and see how it uh, so, sort of all un- unfolds. Um, we are going to now move into the analysis of the weekend's fixtures. Um, and we are going to start with, I think, the um, the sort of the biggest upset of, of the weekend um, and a result that perhaps no one um, expected. Uh, I, I guess both teams going into that game were in, uh, uh, you know, sort of bad form of, of late. Um, <clears throat> uh, both um, Bournemouth and, and Chelsea having lost uh, in, in, in recent games. Um and of course, Chelsea hosted uh, Bournemouth at Stamford Bridge. Um, I, I mean, even though both teams were were in were in, were in bad sort of shape uh, in 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 sort of the past couple of weeks, you would have expected, of course, uh, uh, Chelsea uh, with the fact that they were at home as well, and and of course um, the fact that uh, uh, Tammy Abraham has has uh, now sort of returned from injury, you would you would have expected them to uh, sort of steamroll uh, Bournemouth and, and perhaps use that as a, a game for them to regain their confidence, find their feet once again. Um, but alas, that wasn't the case, um, and 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 uh, uh, an injury-stricken Bournemouth uh, turned up and um, you know took all three points home with them. Uh, a goal uh, uh, from Dan Gosling. Um, so I just wanted to ask you guys what your thoughts were on on that game. Um, take it away, Dej. Um As you said, you know Eddie Howe came out and said, you know, there's been a lot of soul searching. In Bournemouth, I think they lost five on the trot. Mm-hmm. And coming into the game against Chelsea, it's a daunting task. Mm. But obviously, as you mentioned also, Chelsea have been in bad form. Um, the game was interesting. I mean, Chelsea, you know, they're on a you know poor vein of form. If you think about mm-hmm. it, they've lost four out of five Premier League games. And I think they've lost the same amount of games that then, that Sarri had lost during his first season in um in the Premier League. And people are talking about our... Uh, Frank Lampard's not being criticised, etc., etc. But I think this is one of the reasons why they brought Frank Lampard in because they knew that it was going to be, you know, difficult maybe to navigate the season with obviously their transfer ban and obviously Hazard leaving. And this is similar to what I saw Frank Lampard do at his time in Derby. His team went on <laughs> runs where they'll win and also winless runs. And I think we're starting to see this. And when you look at all the factors, what cause... Um, Chelsea to be in this poor vein of form I mean their centre-back pairing you know it's not he keeps chopping and changing what's his best two pairings is it Tomori Rudiger is it Zuma we're not sure and what I've seen Kepper as well he's not a keeper that inspires confidence we've seen over the past few weeks him making glaring errors and he's not a strong keeper and I think people what gets lost in translation is he's their record signing goalkeeper he's the most expensive goalkeeper and you know it, it's poor. It's poor. And it's also the most expensive player Chelsea have ever signed. Edge. I know. And when you look at it like that, it's it's not good reading, you know. And you know, I don't want to dwell too much on Chelsea because Bournemouth were the victors, mm-hmm. and you know, 
they're crippled and ravaged with injuries and for them to get that win you know that's why Bournemouth will always stay in the Premier League mm, in my Michael. opinion because they're always capable they've got it in them to win one of the tough games away from home and I think they're level with Liverpool with the most away wins at um, Chelsea since their promotion so um, Bournemouth upward and onwards but um, Frank Lampard needs to take a long stern look in the mirror <laughs> mm-hmm. but, I think I think I called this um, I think when Chelsea were on their run of around I think seven wins in a row I called this I was like around December times they're going to hit a buffer Um, I think one of the key problems have been Kante coming to full fitness because um, when Kante was out Frank Lampard didn't need to think about his team selection um, because he could play Mount in the centre midfield position and play him as part of the three man midfield but now Kante has come back, he's been caught in a position where he still wants to play Mount, but then he's going to have to drop one of his centre midfielders. And for me, I think the trio of Kante, Jorginho and Kovacic have to play. And Pulisic's current form suggests that he has to play as well. But Lampard is so fixated on getting Mount into the team that it's now causing a problem. But as they said about Bournemouth, I think this is the reason why they're always staying in the Premier League. I mean, they're curtailed with several injuries. Um, I think they had nine first-team players out. But Bournemouth always have a track record of pulling off a surprise result. Um, just final point on the game. I think, looking back, I think Chelsea are going to look at this game and this will be one of the marks where we say this is where they missed out on the top four because now I can see Tottenham finishing strong and pipping Chelsea to the top four. Yeah, no, 100%. And of course, I think the next game is um, Tottenham-Chelsea. So and that's, I think, a, that's a six-point. That's yeah, a big that's a game. very, very big game. Carl, did you have any anything to add on, on, on that particular fixture? Oh, it's just... It, it, this is what happens when you hire a relative novice as a manager, right? Mm-hmm. right? Arresting a slide is something that seems easy and seems replicable when we play FIFA or Football Manager, but it's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. It's really hard as a manager to lose three or four games and then go on a spell where you win three or four games. Uh, the fact Eddie Howe manages to do it all of a sudden marks him out as a pretty good manager. Now, mm-hmm. if only he can make those losing spells just a little bit mm-hmm. small. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Bournemouth more or less outplayed Chelsea. And I think the re- and you identified it there that Mason Mount has a very awkward position yes. in the Chelsea team mm-hmm. where Chelsea are probably better off playing 4-3-3. Mm. They're better off playing 4-3-3 but Mount unbalances the side. Yes, yes. Fully he's agree big. with that, Carl. He's playing in, as this sort of number 10 but almost like a, a nine and a half. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's really, really close to Tammy which leaves quite large gaps uh, and it causes problems. Pat Nevin on the Totally Football Show when he's on there swears blind the most important person to Chelsea is Jorginho and Jorginho mm. is the person that he is the best defender because he continuously has the ball. Kovacic is better because Kovacic is dribbling from deep, allows it to, the ball to be carried vertically. And then Kante, Kante's a really nice option you can have to win the ball high up the pitch or win the ball deep down the pitch. But that's your engine room. Mm. And that's, that's, the, that's the unfortunate thing about Chelsea right now is their best midfield three and Frank Lampard's sort of preferred player the one he worked with at Derby as well they're not together they're not synonymous it's not the same thing um, Chelsea were poor uh, I, I adore Callum Hudson-Odoi but I, I don't think he had the best performance on, on Carl, the can I, Carl can I just interject 
just very quickly, how highly do you rate Callum Hudson-Odoi? Because like a year ago, you know when Jordan Ibe was breaking through at Liverpool? Uh-huh. Um, he was held as a, as a really good talent. And people are thinking about the Jordan Ibe that went to Bournemouth and, you know, struggling for confidence and form. But with Callum Hudson-Odoi, when I watch him, he reminds me of a young Jordan Ibe when he was at Liverpool. When he gets the ball and... It's just about being direct, beating your man, getting to the byline and trying to whip the ball in. But in today's game, you need a bit more than that, don't you think? And when I see him, I see that his first touch is lacking, his interchange is lacking. So what, what, what's your take on Callum Hudson-Odoi? I think his potential ceiling is massive. I think Hudson-Odoi is better than Jordan Ibe. I think he's, he's, he's a better player and he has more to his game as well. Mm. Uh, I think we are dramatically underestimating the damage a Achilles injury does. Mm, 100%. So one of these days, mm. one of these, one time before I, I've rest my pen up and it's all done, I would do an article that's just simply called the human body. Okay. And it would just be, it would just be a website and you go on and you click a, a body part and I explain to you what the body part does. Mm. And I'll explain to you what happens if you break it as a civilian. And then I'll explain to you what happens if you break it when you're a football player. Okay. Okay. So, uh, one thing that always got me up the wrong way was when people go, oh, Torres is rubbish. I'm like, no, he blew out his ACL. Okay. If, you blow out, if you blow out your ACL as a civilian, you're never playing football again. Mm. Like, if anyone on this podcast right now does their ACL playing football, I don't want anyone <laughs> playing again, right? The fact that Torres done his ACL and then had to go back to playing top-level football after a year is remarkable. Any football player that does their ACL and goes back to playing football anywhere near the same level is a god. <laughs> hero okay. anytime Oxley chamberlain touches the ball i'd I feel like crying because jesus man that guy's <laughs> knee destroyed so that's great uh, like an achilles injury is a really really hard one because like the name suggests if you know your ancient greek mythology it goes all the way down your leg mm-hmm. uh, and most achilles injuries sees you out for seven months wow realistically so uh hudson Doug got his right at the end of the last season and the fact that he is back at full at match fitness and he's playing football in December is remarkable remarkable so he, I think he's lost a step from injury okay he's, he's still he's still playing back into that uh I've met his father before and I met his brother so his father Bismarck Bismarck Adoy uh former football player uh played is he a Ghana. coach or something like that uh, he's not an official coach but he <laughs> he he very 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 often you can see him at games near the close to the sideline basically talking to Callum and I, I've, I've watched I've watched games on the television at the Hudson Adoy's at Hudson Adoy's house with his dad and his dad is telling me what his son is doing right or wrong and that's the sort of hands-on approach Hudson Adoy's dad has uh, and he and he's given me comments about basically like oh, Callum's great he's got everything in his artillery he does have the sort of street baller tendency of let me try one more dribble let me try one more trick play. Let me try one more touch of the ball before releasing it. And I think that that's fine. Like this kid is, he's not even, is he 20? Is he 21? Yeah, 19, 20, I believe. Yeah, he's not, he's 19 years of age. Ned's, if you're talking about, how do you feel about Kalaman today? He's 19. Okay. He was born yeah. in the year 2000. Right? Mm-hmm. He was born in November 2000. He was born after Euro 2000. As a, sort of shattering realization of how young this kid is. <laughs> uh, he's, he's 19 years of age. He had a massive Achilles injury at the end of last season. And 
he's playing his way back into form and it will get better and it's just a case of giving him time yeah fair, fair play so we're going to move on to the uh, uh, the next fixture now and this also was a very surprising result given the fact that again you would have expected uh, this team in particular given their recent form to absolutely obliterate this uh, this other team who have been struggling um, to regain form since um, you know getting the scalp of of, of, of Man, Man City which uh, feels like an age ago now mm. um, <clears throat> and that was of course the game between Leicester and Norwich um, hosted at the uh, King Power Stadium uh, it ended in a score draw um, uh, an own goal from uh, uh, Tim Krull and and and, and Timu uh, Puki uh, got on the score sheet as well. Very good finish. Um, yeah, I, I actually, yeah, t- yeah, t- I actually watched away. this game. Um, this was an interesting game because I was watching both teams really closely, and when I see Norwich play like this, I'm thinking, how can they possibly go down? Because it just doesn't make sense. They pretty much dominated the whole game. Um, the first half, can I just say that I feel that Timo Puki probably has the best movement in the Premier League and he's a really, wow. really good striker. Mm-hmm. He peeled off of Soyonchu around five times in that game and Soyonchu was found wanting several times. Um, in the midfield, they were amazing. I think Cantwell and obviously Buendia, who I'm a massive fan of, was you know running the play. Leicester, they looked tired and lethargic to be fair I think Madison that's the worst I've seen him this season um, Jamie Vardy was pretty quiet but that's because of the Norwich defence was really really solid um, I just want to shine a spotlight on Max Ahrens because for someone so small he was like uh, he was so dominant in that game he won every one-on-one and he was marauding forward when he had the opportunity to so I just feel that if Norwich can continue playing like that um I feel that they end with a shot of staying up. But what I would say is that these are the games and the results as to why Leicester are not challengers for the Premier League. Because you always feel it's a step too far for them and you always feel that they're going to be likely to drop points. That's such a bizarre statement, though. Think about what you've just said. This mm. is the game that proves Leicester aren't in the title race. Yes. What? 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 I mean... At the start of this season, we were thinking maybe Leicester could crash into the top six. Yeah, but Carl, I'm sorry, and expectations now, rise. <laughs> and now, but mission creep is one of the most dangerous things in football, and one of the most dangerous things in. Yeah, but Carl, the thing is, when mission, Leicester, mission, and I understand, I understand the frustration and the fact mm. that Leicester frustrated having a draw speaks volumes to what Brendan Rodgers has done, and volumes as to what Leicester City is now. The fact that they are second place and frustrated with against a newly promoted side because it means they're going to lose the chase on Liverpool and all the gap between them mm. and the team in fifth place. But that's remarkable. Of course, Carl, I'm, I'm Brendan Rodgers' biggest remar- fan here. Like, I, I really, really rate him and I think he's one of the best managers in the country. But we said this when they won the title that, um, you know, they're not going to keep it up. So I'm judging them to a high standard. I'm judging them to the level of title challenges because that's how highly I rate Brendan Rodgers and that's how highly I rate the team. Yeah, to be fair, when I saw the result, obviously it's a coupon buster. I think everyone would have expected Leicester to win the game, but thought you also said they look tired. This is a team that have been playing once a week. So I think when you look at Liverpool, for example, playing in the midweek, coming back and winning, I don't think that's an excuse in my opinion. Yeah, but maybe I think, not tired physically, maybe mentally, Ditch. Mentally from what? 
I think obviously the conse- consistently winning games, knowing that Liverpool win every single game, is going to have some psychological scar tissue on you. Mm, I'm not sure with that, to be honest. I think um, they just, you know, pressure. I would say the pressure of being in a title race is probably getting to them, in my opinion. I don't Everyone, the, everyone's I don't talking about them as being in a title race, and you know, sometimes you can take your eye off the ball and think, you know what, this Norwich side relegation form easy pickings we can just turn up and win the game and obviously Norwich had different ideas and and it's no surprise that they've taken points off you know Arsenal Everton Leicester you know so I think going forward for Norwich can they stay up if they can keep Pookie firing maybe but again for Leicester this is a missed opportunity and for me this title race is no longer a title race and Liverpool be hoisting up that trophy come May that's that (laughs) (laughs) cool all right so just in the interest of time we're going to move on now um and we're going to review the 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 other games uh on 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 saturday uh the next one i wanted us to uh discuss was uh burnley's uh one nil win at home to uh to newcastle but what, not the Man City Arsenal? This is, yeah, there's so many beautiful games. Liverpool. Are you trying Liverpool. to avoid the Man City Arsenal? <laughs> oh, I mean, well, well of course, on. first and foremost, mm. that game was on Sunday. So we're going to review the Sunday's fixtures. Of course, we wanted to go through the Saturday's ones first. We can, of course, talk Shouldn't about it Liverpool. Shouldn't be the most recent, really, though? Really, what, what really can we say? Okay, we can, I mean, we can discuss Liverpool, you know, yeah. Um, what you expected, top of the league, bottom of the league, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I want to discuss the Man City Arsenal game first. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that, we'll get to that. Let's <laughs> let's let's really quickly run through. Okay, so so just so we can spend a bit more time on all, all of those bigger fixtures and, mm. and results, okay. let's really quickly run through okay. these other ones, yeah? Okay, okay. Okay, so really quickly, let's run through uh, uh, Burnley, Newcastle, of course. Burnley hosted New, uh, Newcastle at home at, at Turf Moor uh, and, and, and won one nil courtesy of a goal from Chris Wood. Um, really quickly, uh, Dej, take us away. What are your thoughts on, 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 on Burnley's performance? Um, again, when you're a mid-table team like Burnley, you expect to win your home games. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised, to be honest. I think Burnley, they've had a bit of rotten form recently, you know, getting pammed to, you know, Man City. <laughs> so, again, winning against Newcastle is a game I expected them to win, to mm-hmm. be honest. And I expect Burnley to stay in the league as well. Bearing cool. in mind that Newcastle were missing their main attackers, Almiron and St. Maximin. So, you always knew that Burnley were going to win that game. Cool. Right, moving on. Sheffield uh, United hosted Aston Villa at home at Bramwell Lane. Uh, they won 2-0. Uh, goals uh, from uh, my man, John Fleck. Yeah, uh, guy that I, I, I you know, You're really a big fan, boy, a big fan of him. Um, what are your thoughts on that game, Dot? When do they give out the manager of the year? Anyone, <laughs> Carl? Uh, manager of the season is at the end of the season. Yeah, I, I think they should. Manu- I don't believe it's a calendar year one, but uh, I understand what you're saying, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you know already what he was trying yeah, to, to get to. I think they should, you know, cut that process short and hand the manager of the year to, to Chris Wilder because the job that he's doing at Sheffield United is is pretty amazing. I mean, John Fleck, Longstrom in the midfield, vertical passing, the overlapping centre-backs and the inverted full-backs just is a joy to watch. And I mean... This Sheffield United team, I thought around December, they would probably hit a stumbling block where they go on poor form. But they continue to, to surprise me and they keep, you know, churning out results and they're sitting really, really well and then a push for potentially a Europa League spot at the moment as things stand. 
I mean, Sheffield United... Churning out the results is the, is the correct term. They are outplaying teams. They're outplaying teams with with supreme tactical no. wit. Mm. Mm. Uh, they defend better than many teams in the Premier League. They attack better. It's one of those... If you've ever see, watched them over 90 minutes, at some point your brain will go, imagine if Chris Wilder was doing this with, quote-unquote, better players. But, but the thing is, Carl, can he, can he do it with better players? You need an opportunity to be able to show that, to be honest. And, yeah. well, I, uh, for one, I don't think I think he's particularly wedded to Sheffield United in this way that I don't see him leaving anytime soon. Despite, you know, uh, that's saying Ancelotti is going to Everton. I think I think Everton probably should not do that. Keep Duncan Ferguson for the rest of the season and then throw a load of money at Chris Wilder and see what happens there. But that's me. Um, yeah, I think he's incredible i think he i think what's particularly interesting about sheffield united is the players he's recruited so a lot of these but you know john fleck scored maybe 15 goals in several uninspiring seasons at rangers and most people thought he was finished and there's a lot of players at sheffield united who have been considered not good enough Mm. or not good enough for lower leagues that weren't good enough in league one or off in the championship or weren't good enough in scottish football that wilder has got them to buy into his ideas he's unorthodox and new and different ideas and they're executing these ideas because they love chris wilder and chris wilder's got them to believe in them and that's why they're the way they are it is i think something that goes overlooked a lot at football management is it's one thing to be to have the correct ideas it's another thing to be the correct person to say those ideas mm-hmm. so zinedine zidane could not work as a manager anywhere else other than real madrid because who Zinedine Zidane is and the trophies he won for Real Madrid and what he did for Real Madrid means that when he says do something to a Real Madrid player, that means Mm. something I found particularly interesting if you go through enough interviews about Zidane is that he doesn't shout unless you speak English. Hmm. He doesn't shout at any... Zidane doesn't shout at any of the Spanish-speaking or Portuguese-speaking football players at Real Madrid. He just stares at them. Wow. And Marcelo says, says, Zidane stares at you. You understand. You've messed up. (laughs) <laughs> Zidane doesn't have to and that works because he's Zidane. He's the Real Madrid legend. Um, that would work less if he did that at Manchester United. Mm. Or that would work less if he did that at Inter Milan. Mm. Because he doesn't quite have the heft. It's, you know, this whole thing about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at Manchester United. Is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer the best manager for Manchester United? No. But, in and it sounds a bit namby-pamby to say, but the thing about Solskjaer is it, it connects with an idea of spirituality. Or, or allowing to go back to your roots. So what Solskjaer does, and what has been very obvious the moment they announced the deal, the moment they made him permanent and they gave him a three-year contract, was that Solskjaer's job was to de-weed and declutter and everyone to just get used to it because it was a Manchester United legend saying things. Yes. Mm. Interesting. David, David Moyes saying, David Moyes saying it was quite fun that we, you know, three or four seasons ago, we would have lost three or four nil to Sheffield United. Moyes gets sacked. Solskjaer saying of it. Of course, like, oh, yes. Ah, oh, ah, oh, fine. He's a clown, but... Mm, it's there interesting you, you say that. Um, Obviously, just to analyse the Sheffield United Villa game, I mean, as we've alluded to, Chris Wilder doing an amazing job. Best defensive record outside the top two. Um, I watched the game. First half was agricultural stuff. Very, very boring. <laughs> no quality, no shots on target. Then second half, Sheffield United just sparked into life. And as we mentioned, John Fleck came of age and, you know, he's got a decent record this season, four and four. Uh, I mean, he's doing very, very well, but I don't think we've touched on Villa. I mean, 
they're in a very precarious position. I mean, they've got a soft underbelly. Mm. They've conceded like 22 of their goals after half time. So that seems to me like, you know, maybe Dean Smith has trouble adjusting. You know, he might get what he wants out of the players in the first half. Then other opposition managers change their tune and he can't adjust to it. So, and also another fact was, I think both of the managers were hometown boys for their respective clubs. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing, you know, what a goal from Wilfred Zaha. We're watching the game. What a goal. But yeah. Um, yeah live updates. Yeah, live updates. What a goal. He slammed that. So yeah, um, Wesley, no goal in nine go- no goal in nine games. Two goals from two shots. I mean, John Fleck, what a player. Player of the, player of the game. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right, we're going to move on now. Um to the game that uh, the, the two of these gentlemen really want to, to talk about. So we're going to give them their uh, their airtime. Liverpool hosted Watford at Anfield. Um, and surprise, surprise, won all three points. Uh, uh, courtesy of goals from uh, Mohamed Salah. Um, both uh, Origi and Mane getting uh, assists for those two goals. Uh, the second goal from from Salah, a delightful piece of improv- uh, improvisation, uh, was 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 probably one of the highlights of the game. Um, Dot, take us away. What are your thoughts on the game? Yeah, it's just another box ticked. Um, you know, Anfield is a fortress. Um, I think it's forty four home games unbeaten now. This Liverpool team, they're going to take some stopping. I mean, when you've got a front three of Mo Salah and Sadio Mane and Bobby Firmino, even though Bobby Firmino has been a bit poor for the mm. for the last couple of months, and I think his form is actually, you know, it needs to be there needs to be a question mark next to it. But I feel that this Liverpool team, they're just too good for most of the teams in the Premier League. And even if they're playing in second gear, they're going to get the results. I just want to um, shout out Mo Salah because I think he's been playing amazing in the last two weeks mm-hmm. um, that's three games and he scored in all three of them um, by the way the first goal was, was absolutely terrific and the second goal was really good and it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a good win from Liverpool but Watford they showed a lot of heart they showed a lot of spirit early on yeah they set the tempo they had Will a, Hughes had, yeah, a, had, a, had a good had game he's made Lassar as well missed yeah, kicking yeah. that shot that yeah, yeah. Been, so they mm-hmm. had they had big opportunities to score so I think that's a bit of a concern for Jurgen Klopp I feel that Liverpool need to defend better. Sometimes they seem a bit complacent that the game is too easy so they can give chances away, which is not good. But I think if Watford continue to perform in that manner, I think they can probably go on a late search to try and stay up and avoid relegation this season. Um, I mean, Liverpool, 16 wins at home in a row. Salah, eight goals against Watford. I mean, we all remember, you know, Suarez pulverising Watford. And it seems that, um, you know, he's passed on the baton to, um, you know, um, Mo Salah. Salah. Hasn't uh, he equaled um, Suarez's... I, I, I he's saw surpassed, a stat. yeah, he's, he's got he, the... Um, in, in, in seven fewer games? games yeah, I think, I think Salah's got 84 goals in 126 games mm-hmm. and Suarez had 82 goals in 133. Yeah. So say what you like about them as players, but Salah is very, very efficient. Mm. I mean, Liverpool, again, as we mentioned, wasn't a, you know, routine win. Mm-hmm. It didn't pass without incident. But again, I think this had something to do with the change in formation from Liverpool. I mean, Liverpool are used to that four, 4-3-3, you know, formation. And it seemed that they were playing a bit of a 4-2-4. You know, Salah and Firmino are playing central. And I think as Liverpool players, they're so regimented in that system. And when you're taken out of that, it can mess things up. But again, mm. it's a box-ticking process. <laughs> you know, I think no one's going to catch them now. I mm. think we're all in agreement on that. And it's just a case of, you know, winning games, 
winning convincingly and you know wait until May till they can lift that trophy up absolutely alright I've heard enough about Liverpool let's move on uh, Carl take us away on the game between Southampton and West Ham of course uh, Southampton you were uh, there hosted uh, uh, West Ham uh, St Mary's and, and of course you were there um, unfortunately though didn't come away with all, all, all three points um, uh, a goal from Sebastian Allaire in the first half um, uh, uh, meant that uh, 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 West Ham were able to take uh, all three points uh, on their travels um, what are your thoughts on the game Carl? Uh, it was a game that was over at half four an hour before kickoff the moment West Ham announced their team sheet wow okay, okay. how it, so? It, so team sheet got announced uh Felipe Anderson was ill with a virus, so was dropped. And Mikel Antonio went up top with Sebastian Allaire. And I remember turning to a journalist next to me and going, West Ham are playing two up front away from home. That's big. That's a big deal. They're going to play, you know, direct football. And I said, I remember tweeting, we're going to get a slobber knocker. It's going to be <laughs> smash mouth, loads of crosses, uh, fastest finger who can shoot first. And it was West Ham. Was Southampton, I've been following them all season as part of my, you know, my job as a Southampton reporter. Uh, and so they're a club that have a real difficulty defending crosses. They have given up, before the West Ham game, they've given up 36 shots from crosses and they conceded seven goals. Um, seven goals of an X year, about 5.7 as well. So not only are they bad at defending crosses, they're also unlucky at defending crosses. And I've said this about teams before. If you're a good football team, you'll be in the top half of the Premier League. If you're a bad football team, you'll be in the bottom half. If you're good and lucky, you tend to be in the Champions League spaces or you'll be winning silverware. If you're bad and unlucky, you're getting relegated. And Southampton have now got to this weird place where they're both bad and unlucky at very <laughs> basic thing. Um, and yeah, I, I, half time, I was talking to another journalist and I went, what do you think of that 45 minutes? And he just looked at me and went, dreadful. And then at full time, I looked at him again and I said, to use your word, that was dreadful. <laughs> Southampton, are, they've got statistically the worst defence in the league. They have a central midfield that, while is getting better because it's James Ward Prowse and Hoiberg, still needs a lot more help knitting and defence and attack. They've got outside of Danny Ings' scoring and finishing, which is great, but not sustainable. So Danny Ings' conversion rate is something like 24.5% mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. which, right. Fun fact about conversion rates over a season. A Premier League striker, like a, a most Premier League strikers, average around about ten percent conversion rate. So most strike most strikers, you give mm. them ten shots, and one of them will go in. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you get closer to fifteen percent, you tend to be in the champ. You tend to be a Champions League level striker, mm-hmm. and mm. greatest player of all time, Lionel Messi, averages around about twenty percent conversion for the season. Mm. So right. basically, Ings is right. converting so, Messi numbers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're talking season long, right? Yes. So over a season, you get to 20%. So sometimes a player gets really, really hot. Mm. So when Mbappe burst on the scene at Monaco, he was finishing 30% of his shots, as oh, was Rashford wow. when Rashford <laughs> came on the scene. They were finishing one, one, one in every three shots. And I was like, right, this will eventually cool off because that cools off. Mm-hmm. Um, Jamie Vardy right now is on a ridiculous, absurd goal-scoring mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like 26%. And look, it's going to cool off. Like anyone that's got body, mm. Spanish team, you might have to do soon. <laughs> good little tip there. Ings is on 24.5%. And Ings, while is picking up good positions, he can't play 90 minutes because of his injury problem. Yeah. Uh, he's not being supported by a great attacking team behind him. So the numbers will cool off. And that's the thing. If you've got defense that's really, really bad, an attack that's basically relying on 
a striker running really, really hot, eventually something's going to go wrong and you're just going to get, you well, you get what happened when Leicester came to town. You get hockeyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so Carl, what do you make of um, Southampton <laughs> and Hassanato? Because from the outside looking in, we've been saying on this show that he hasn't been backed to the way he should have been backed and he's kind of been left out to dry. I mean, Shea Adams, he's coming from Birmingham. <laughs> Hasn't hit the ground running. He's been struggling. If we're being honest, I think before the season started, he said Southampton are going for the league. I'm not sure (laughs) where where that came from, but yeah, what's your take on Southampton and what do they need? And ultimately, do you see them staying up? And Carl, just quickly to add to that question, we actually spoke to you know someone that works at Dortmund, and they were saying that Hassan Hutu is a really really good manager, but at Southampton, he doesn't have the tools to get the best out of that team. Yeah, pretty much. I, uh, the football Ralph Hustle wants to play. So the, the the fun thing about Southampton is the football Hustle wants to play is going to be the the dominant style of football for the for the start of the next decade. So the majority for the first couple of years of the 2020s, every single team in the Champions League will do some variant of a high press, or do some variant of trying to block passing lanes, or will do some variant of wanting to play midfield traps. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what Hustle wants Southampton to play. The problem is they can't do it because Southampton don't have the required personnel to play this style, this like highly advanced style of football, because it requires one, you've got to have supreme fitness. You've got to be really, really, really tactically aware. And you've got to not be, you know, no, any concentration or laps and you open up massive holes in your defense. Like that system relies on you working as a conglomerate. And if one of you doesn't do their job properly, boom, you're all suffering, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in your midfield units. Um, and that's, I think that's a big problem for Southampton. Southampton also have a lot, they've got, they've got a lot of money on players that aren't currently at Southampton. So there's, they've got a very large squad of players who aren't in Hustle's plans, who are either on loan or just unable to sell. You consider how Southampton got 75 million for Virgil van Dijk mm-hmm. and they used that, they used around, they used a third of that money on Yannick Vestergaard, who is currently <laughs> not, he's on the bench. Mm. Uh, they also use some of that money on Wesley Hoyt, who is currently on loan. Mm. And then you consider how, you know, their replacements for other players. So their their Saudi Mane replacement is Nathan Redmond, who is not having a great season right now. He's very much a confidence player, and he doesn't look mm-hmm. like he's got great confidence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Consider uh, one of their Lalana replacements is Sofian Bufa, who's currently injured because he ran into his coffee table. Mm. Um, Goodness me. Uh, it, it, that sort of thing of bad and unlucky they've yes. got and you can't you the cohesion between players they should have brought in so you consider they spent quite a lot of money on Mario Lamina who looked as if he might be really really good but clearly he very much didn't see want to be at Southampton he very much was using that as a stepping stone to go somewhere else yeah. and therefore didn't put in the requisite amount of effort frankly so you've got players like you know Southampton's best goalkeeper for intensive purposes, is currently on loan at Celtic. <laughs> Fraser Forster. What's so, yeah. Carl? Basically, you're saying that all this is going to culminate in you know relegation for Southampton. All this looks like it. It's looking likely. Unfortunately, it's looking more likely than not. I mean, the thing that that's happened for a lot of Southampton fans recently is they're going. I'm looking at the league table and trying to figure out which three teams are worse than Southampton. <laughs> and, <you're strapped laughs> and, if, and if you're, if you're doing that, then you're in trouble. And it it seems as if Southampton. Southampton as a team has been doing that for more than one season. In in May 2018, Southampton 
beat Swansea in a relegation six point and stayed up, but they probably should have gone down. Mm. And if they had gone down, they would have been able to kick in a lot of release clauses, clear a lot of money off the books and restarted a, a slow process out of the championship. But this is the weird problem Southampton have right now, where I think quite a few Southampton fans would go, if we get relegated, there's no guarantee we're going to come back up because the squad yes. is not great. Yeah. So is there well, talk also, in January of them um, back in Hassan Hotel, or are they just going to see how the season plays out and hope they can string, you know, two or three wins together? There's not enough money. So how where's all the money have, gone? Yeah, where's it gone? How can a Premier League club not have money, Carl? Because well, as, last as, season as, we were saying that if Southampton, you know, you know, splash the clash. Um, this team is going to be like really good because Hassan Hotel is a, is a top manager, but it seems like they haven't backed him. So where has the resources gone? It just doesn't make sense. As I've just said, Southampton's best goalkeeper is currently on loan at Celtic. Southampton is still paying his wages. Hmm. You know, there's there's a, so the Southampton's chairman wants the club to be self sufficient and doesn't want to particularly spend much of his money. Um, he says Southampton not a pig to be fattened, and he wants them to 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 make their own money, which requires them to mm-hmm. get themselves out of this hole which might require really bad stuff going on um so we know for a f- well at the start of the season their director of football their then director of football russ wilson said 15 million is the point in time where we go okay mm, do we really want to buy this person and 15 million doesn't get you that much in the premier league no more mm-hmm. and it's, it's a real awkward system another thing you've got to bring up is that game is probably saved Pellegrini at West Ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, he's he's going on a week to week basis. So yeah. I'm, I'm I'm guessing he's happy this weekend. But he'll be a bit worried that you know his goalkeeper got a bit injured at the end, and we all know the replacement that yeah, will come into the yeah, sticks yeah. if he's injured. Gosh, I think that's going to be an interesting one to to monitor in in the coming weeks. All right, moving on now. Um, Arsenal hosted uh, Man City at the Emirates. Um, I can't say I'm too surprised at the result. Um, I think my only real disappointment is the fact that I didn't make Kevin De Bruyne my captain in the Fantasy Premier League. But that's another <laughs> that's another story. Um, <laughs> so um, City uh, came away with all three points uh, and, and three goals, two coming from De Bruyne and one from Raheem Sterling. Um, uh, we saw uh, Gabriel Jesus and Phil Foden get on the... Um, uh, on 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 the list for uh, assists. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, the Benjamin Mendy unfortunately couldn't complete ninety minutes, but <laughs> 90 I think he, I think I think he got eighty four or, or so. Close, enough. <laughs> Close <laughs> enough. Close enough. Yeah, Close, but no cigar. Um, but also um, a, a surprise inclusion from the off uh, of of Phil Foden. Unfortunately, he also didn't complete the game. But uh, a very spirited performance and energetic performance from him too. Uh, Dej, take us away on this one. Um, Arsenal as a club are broken. I think (laughs) it's dangerous territory for them. Mm. I mean, when you look at the fan base, I mean, Freddie Lundberg's a legend. And when you look at the two home games, I've been disappointed by Arsenal's support of him. You're meant to go there, make the stadium noisy, make it a fortress. Mm -hmm. But the Arsenal fans have voted with their feet and they're not having it. And also, um, just to make a mention of that performance... That was embarrassing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think Arsenal accepted defeat before the game had begun. Mm. You could see they had the first foray with, you know, Martinelli running in. And I thought, wow, this could be a game. Mm-hmm. But after that, it was the game was over. Mm. I mean, Manchester City, they turned up and they didn't even have to be at full tilt. Uh, they, I agree. They I just agree. done what they had to do. We've mm. got the win in a bag. Mm. Let's move on. Pep said that they played better against United. Of yeah, course, and that was being cheeky. That was being cheeky. One shot on target. 
is embarrassing. Mm-hmm. It, it had was problems. It was finished from. I mean, there's not much to learn from this. The same thing we've learned from the last three or four times Manchester City have played Arsenal, which is Manchester City are a Champions League quality side that will probably be second or third favourite to win the Champions League at the end of the season. And Arsenal aren't even favourites to win the Europa League. Mm. That's that. Five defeats in a row against Man City. And because there's a golfing class there. It was mm-hmm. particularly telling after the end of the game where Kevin De Bruyne more or less revealed a scouting report about Arsenal going, yeah, we know that Arsenal, they, they try and press up high, but the back four doesn't come up. But mm. there goes the midfield press up, but they also don't drop back to protect their defence, which leaves there's loads of holes in central midfield. And if you've got Kevin De Bruyne, literally the best passer of the ball in Europe right now, lining up against a team where he knows, they're not even, the, defense, the midfield isn't going to drop back to try and beat me up. Mm. <laughs> Okay, I want to thread all these three balls as much as I want. Mm-hmm. He was a had a field day, didn't he? Really, Man City mm-hmm. more or less declared at three 0 and went, "Okay, we're done." Uh, yeah, and, I mean, and that's that. sorry, and I think what it says is it speaks to the rank ineptitude of Arsenal and they're and they're and they're running right now. You consider what Tottenham did, where they went, Pochettino wasn't working out, and they had Mourinho in place the next day, the very next day. Mm-hmm. Whereas they've got this space now where Lundberg is the interim manager, but. Lundberg doesn't have his own coaching staff. Mm. So And he's, he's been very, very vocal about that as well, hasn't he? So very oh. clearly Yeah, so very clearly he's going to be replaced eventually. But at the same time, we have no idea who the incoming person is. Yeah, Carl, I believe the rumours that have been emanating today is that Arteta is really, really close to um to getting the job. Yeah, I've I've heard that as well. But okay, they should have sounded him out far far quicker. Of if course. you if you know you're going to sack Emery, which they they had done for a while, surely they should have. Surely they should have a greater succession plan than this. Yeah, but this is this... a club that you know no one takes responsibility. Cal, who's going to stick their head above the parapet and make decisions at this club? Because... I mean, you've got you know Raul Sanlihai and Vinay Vinkateshan that are in charge of the sporting you know decisions, and Edu as well. And Edu, yeah. Yeah, but they... As you said, they should have made the decision once you sack Ebre. You need to have a plan, and just to make a comment on the uh, you know potential appointment of Miguel Arteta um, I think he's not the right appointment for this Arsenal side Dude, I, think I, mean, that's harsh. I think you can't be going on work experience in your first job <laughs> you need someone to the tune in my opinion of you know Rafa Benitez mm-hmm. someone that can speak the language and knows the league mm-hmm. Arteta he's similar to the mold of Freddie Lundberg mm-hmm. I know he's been under I think I know he's been under the tutelage of um, you know Pep Guardiola but I still think that's not enough for the, the scale of this task Mm-hmm. They normally say it's better to be the man to replace the man that replaces the man. But I think in this situation, if Arteta was given the job post Wenger, he would have been, you know, given more leeway. But the position Arsenal in now, mm-hmm. the fans mm-hmm. are desperate. Mm-hmm. And I think this job is a huge job. And I think you need someone with much more experience than Mikko Arteta has. A, I think that's that's really harsh, obviously. In I was what way? Re- I was reading um, a piece mm-hmm. on The Athletic, actually, Cal, um, your colleagues, um, Michael Cox and Sam Lee. And they were saying that Arteta actually took charge of the Man City team in his first season at um, Man City when Pep um, came up against Arsenal. He said, um, this is your week. Take the training sessions, do the team talk, do the tactics. I think you're going to need more than that. Yeah, I'm not saying that, but I'm just, you know, giving you some sort of indication to what he may bring to Arsenal. I'm not saying that he's the right man. Different level of quality. I'm not saying he's the right man, but I feel that he deserves a chance. And they were saying that he deployed um, Kevin De Bruyne in that false nine role in the second half. And he started him on the left in the first half. And we saw similar yesterday that... um, Man City played De Bruyne in a front three role and he literally wreaked destruction yesterday. So I feel that Arteta 
a lot of goodwill is you know he's got a lot of goodwill mm. and I feel that if Wenger says you're going to be a great manager and Pep Guardiola now comes out and butcheresses it and says you're going to be a top manager I think we need to start you know maybe we should read into that that this potentially is going to be a good manager for Arsenal um, so I think to write him off before he walks into the job I think that's outlandish it, it, it's Ar- not let me make this clear mm-hmm. I'm saying that I don't think he's the right man for the job right now when mm-hmm. you look at the okay, scale so Jake, who, who is the right man when you look at the scale of the task I yeah. think you need experience Arsenal are broken but they went when with Una saying, Emre they went with Una Emre and Una Emre failed someone experienced that didn't know the language right Right. When you look at Rafael Benitez, this is someone that knows the Premier League, knows the players and mm-hmm. knows the language. You're going for Mikko Arteta. I know you hear the, rave reviews about his coaching, about so trying to get Sterling. Sterling you know, he helped Sterling and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I think the scale of this opportunity is too big for him, in my opinion. I think it's really important we figure out what, what is the job, right? So uh, as people pointed out when Emery was first hired, the Southampton, uh, Southampton Arsenal had, had a choice when Wenger left you either go for a short-term winner to just right let's just get some trophies build up some goodwill immediately after the bad venger years mm-hmm. or you get or you get your long-term person you can slowly build for a project what they did was they got emery who is not a short-term he's neither right he's, <laughs> he's, he's not quite a long-term project manager because he's he's talk of tactical stuff and philosophy and i particularly don't like the word philosophy when you describe football but his tactical view and how he wants to play football and he likes the word analyze yeah sorry and, oh, <laughs> the word philosophy is useless in football i want us all to stop using um and mentality get rid of those words and overrated and underrated get rid of those you've got a strong mentality though Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, right now, what? So Emery was neither the person with like a long-term tactical view to mm. slowly, re, you know, do a root and balance reform of Arsenal, nor was he the proven winner because basically most of his accolades came from the Europa League when most of the big clubs didn't take the Europa League seriously. Mm-hmm. So he was a halfway house. And now yep, yep. what Arsenal are doing is they're trying to go for this long-term option by going for Arteta, which is what they probably should have done last time. Yep. Yes, that, that was my point. But if you are going for Arteta, there has to be a very, very clear agreement mm. between club and fan base that this is going to take years. Are the fans they're... patient enough, though? I think they will be patient with Arteta, actually. I'm not well, sure. I, think if, I, think, I don't think right, they will. Carl, I think if he comes and he implements a good style of play where Arsenal are playing progressive football, I feel that the fans will... Will wait those, and those give him time to get results. Big if. That's such a big yeah, if. I'm not convinced personally. That's such a big if. There is no go- like. Look at that squad. That squad is massively unbalanced. And Arsenal fans. Yeah, but you say that, Kyle. Any manager that comes into this team will say, you know what? I've got some good players here. Nicolas Pepe. I know he hasn't hit the ground running, but he's a 72 million pound player. Aubameyang, one of the most lethal number nines in world football. Lacazette, what a striker. I mean, there's some players in this team. That can, you know, they're good players. So I don't buy this team. Every team base is the defence. And when you look at Arsenal's defence, it is not fit for purpose. Let's be honest. (laughs) Look at their defence. Chambers, centre-back, Papadopoulos. You can't build a base around this team. So in January, in my opinion, they're going to need to splash the cash. I'm not sure which centre-backs are available. But this team, it's not a team. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm. You've got 
a good attacker, decent winger, mm. shit defenders. Yeah, but they, all it takes, like, some, some people feel that, like, it's going to take eight or nine signings, Cal. But sometimes it just takes one or two players to come in and it can transform the whole fortunes of a team. If Arsenal sign that commanding centre-back alongside Saliba that's going to come in next summer, that can be your centre-back sorted out for the next five or six years. You've got Turney that's going to come back stronger and you've got Bellerin. Yeah, he hasn't looked too good since his injury. But already you see a good defence there. So I think... People are quick to shoot down this Arsenal team in terms of it's a poor team, it's the worst Arsenal team I've seen. But there's talent there, and if you administer that talent, they can become a good team very quickly. Can I also play devil's advocate here? So we are now speaking about um, Arsenal, and we recently were speaking about um, Sheffield, uh, uh, Sheffield United, and the fact that Chris Wilder exactly. has has turned uh, the fortunes around of players that were uh, maligned and 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 and, 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 and frowned upon, uh, players who you know who 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 were looked at not being good enough for a lot of them uh, were, for the were, Scottish exactly. League and, and 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 the Championship. A lot of them were dubbed journeymen. One hundred percent. So, are you telling me now that the quality of 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 the Arsenal defenders is is not good enough that? It can be coached. Is is that no, what you're no, saying to these me? These players are too long in the tooth. No, 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 Socrates. Gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Well, you're asking two very, very, very different questions in that question. Is there a manager out there that can improve this current Arsenal side? Yes. Mm-hmm. Is Mikel Arteta the person to do it? Maybe. Is Mikel Arteta going to be the man to do it quickly enough so the fans don't turn? I doubt it. So basically, Him. you're trying to say that the fans are toxic. I'm not saying the fans are toxic. I'm saying... Right, first things first, what is the... Right, and it, this is a really hard thing to, to, to explain because, well, to, to get a simple answer to because it's, it's mostly like a large philosophical question. What is the point of Arsenal Football Club? Carl, mm. I think... I think, I think no, no, what, f- no, what, what, is, what is the point of Arsenal Football Club right now? Arsenal Football Club, a club that wins trophies? Not we, their point. No, their let point let, let right me be now, honest. No, Arsenal, think- right now, they've lost their identity, in my opinion. When you thought of Arsenal before, you thought of a respectable run football club. Now, they're in danger of going down the Everton route where you look at them and you think, what's the point of this football club? What are you trying to do? I mean, you've had, you know, ex-players come out in the press, Martin Keown and saying, you know, these players are letting down the name of Arsenal club. When I was there, this wouldn't happen. That wouldn't happen. And I think the next appointment is very, very crucial in what happens to them in the next three or four years. Because if they get this appointment, you know, wrong, they're going to be stuck in the doldrums. They're only seven points away from the top four, but this is a team that don't look like they can, you know, string three wins together. I think the bigger concern is that the fans want granularity. They want the ball to come out and just give them some clarity on on mm. what's going on with the team. You get what I'm trying to say? And that's mm. why these Arsenal fans are so quick to jettison the owners. They're so quick to jettison the, you know, the players on the pitch because they, it's just a mess and there's mixed messages coming throughout the whole team and it's just not good enough. So I can understand the fans' frustrations at the moment. Yeah. Gents, I've got 10 minutes left, so let's go. Okay, let's move on. So, uh, Dot is going to analyse the game between uh, United and Everton, and then Carl, you're going to uh, wrap things up with the Wolves and Tottenham game. So, over to you, Dot. Um, United hosted um, Everton at Old Trafford. Uh, the game was a, a, a score draw. Uh, goals um, for, well, it, it, uh, at first, was an own goal from uh, Victor Lindelof. Uh, in the first half and then Mason Greenwood uh, popped up with the goods and equalised in the 77th minute uh, an assist via uh, Daniel James what are your thoughts on the, what's your um, thought on the game? 
Carl, I'm actually saving you, you know, from, from analysing this game because I know you won't have good things to say. <laughs> um, I think it was two evenly matched teams. Um, Man United started off well. I think they, you know, missed a few chances in the beginning. Then Everton grew into the game. They got a foothold of the ball. And what Everton done is that they scored whilst they were on top. Um, after that, Man U didn't really react. I think they were a bit poor during the game. Um, I'm not sure. Am I the only one that likes Mason Holgate? Because I think he played really, really yeah, well in the mid. Game. And I think yeah. he's got attributes to be like a, a good player. Um, just to finish off on the game, I think... At the end, I think a draw was a fair result. Um, Mason Greenwood, what what a talent. What He's a got talent, that yeah. Van Persie. Yeah, you know, that kind of gate to L him. Kind yeah, of gate yeah. to him. But I just want to call out Duncan Ferguson for what he done to Moise Keane. I mean, for me, I don't like to see things like that. I think you're meant to cajole your players, console your players, for you to bring him on for 17 minutes and then take him off and leave him, you know. In the and his justification was that he wanted to waste time. For me, no compassion. Now, Look at your player. managers like Duncan Look him Ferguson get a bad, get a bad label. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was poor, for, to be honest, in my opinion. I mean, if you're going to take him on, show compassion, mm-hmm. put an arm around him it's and say, lad. yeah, don't worry, blah, blah. It's my mm. fault. I take responsibility. Mm. But you could see him take the lonely walk down the tunnel. And just a comment on uh, Manchester United. That's 14 points from six games against the big six. 11 points from the other. I mean, that shows where their problems is. <laughs> you know, when they play a team that wants to shut up shop and say, you know, we're going to keep it solid. Mm. You know, they can't break them down. And also, I want to just comment on the impending news that um, Carlo Ancelotti has touched down in Everton. In my opinion, I've said it before, I think this is the wrong appointment <laughs> for Everton, in my opinion. I think mm. Carlo Ancelotti, he's a finisher. He's the man when you want to just, you know, you've got experienced players there and you just want to finish off the job. Mm. This Everton project is too embryonic for him and I don't see where it's going to go. I mean, his last season at Bayern Munich, he was sacked against Napoli. He was brought in there to, you know, finish the job. And done a shocking job there. Napoli have receded. They're like 18 points behind, you know, the top or Mm. Juventus who are leading the pack. So I think, again, we hear about their hierarchy, you know, Fahad Mashiri and Bill Kemwright. And they seem to be at loggerheads. I know um, Farhad Mashiri wants to return to the Hollywood of football, he as he like calls a it. Name, yeah. And Bill Kenwright wants the more British route, the David Moyes or the Duncan Ferguson. But it yeah, seems but that Farhad Mashiri is winning the um, day. I, I thought Marcel Brands was meant to be in charge of football recruitment. Kakao, maybe you can give some sort of clarity to that. Sorry, gentlemen, what was the question? Marcel Brands, wasn't he meant to be in charge of what's going on, you know, in terms of He's- the... Yeah, so he he has a role of director of football. Um, worked quite closely with uh, Marco Silva in terms of recruitment in players at this window. Um, and again, Everton are in this weird state of do you go for a trophy guy or mm-hmm. do you go for someone for a long-term project? And uh, Silva was clearly trying to get someone for a long-term project after you went for the short-term managers of Sam Allardyce um, previously. Now, I don't think Ancelotti is a good idea. Me too. Me too. Uh, I second that. I've, I've said this before. Uh, I said this earlier in the podcast. I think the best thing Everton should do right now is leave it with Duncan Ferguson and then throw loads of money at Chris Wilder in the season, see mm. what happens. Because this mm. Everton side... You've got, you've got an angle there, Carl. This Everton side needs an identity and they need, they need uh, uh, a tactical... 
system and they need and they need a system of play and the most likely system of play ever to need is the one currently given out by Duncan Ferguson which is basically you run <laughs> <laughs> and, and again this is the whole thing of, of it needs the right person to say something right now and we know Duncan Ferguson why he might not be the most tactically erudite person out there no one cares about everything more than Duncan Ferguson right mm-hmm. and no one cares about Everton more than Duncan Ferguson and if Duncan Ferguson says you run for that badge you're going to run for that badge because mm-hmm. that man someone out for Liverpool for Leicester right he chucked the man out on a football pitch mm-hmm. and I think I think this Everton side need someone out there who can employ a press and employ a proper press and, and an organised one and Ancelotti very much is not that manager Ancelotti is, is has is and has always been at his best when he has a collection of incredibly talented footballers mm-hmm. and basically goes express yourself this is why yeah. Ancelotti's uh, domestic league record is pretty poor but mm. one Champions League is very very good mm. because Ancelotti's better in cups because cups rely on that yeah. freakish element of that having three very skilled number 10s are yeah, so yeah, Ancelotti's yeah. one of those managers that creative players love him but some other players don't like you only have to look at how he left Bayern Munich when the Bayern Munich players went we needed a manager to calm us down after Pep stressed us out but the problem with Ancelotti was he let us get too slack and he let right. us get too calm and I think the last thing Everton need right now, after the muddled confusion of the Marco Silva year, is to get another manager who's like, do what you want. Mm-hmm. Fair play. Okay, uh, 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 Carl, still with you. Um, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the uh, game between Wolves and, and, and Tottenham. Uh, so uh, Wolves hosted Tottenham at the, the Molyneux um, and, and Tottenham ended up uh, coming away with, with all three points, courtesy of a, a goal in an injury time uh, from Jan Vertonghen. Uh, what are your thoughts on the game? That's some prime Jose Mourinho ball, isn't it? Mm. Playing away from home, being mostly outplayed, but just managing to scab a late winner mm-hmm. because that's it. Uh, look, I, I'm I'm very vocal in what I think about Mourinho. I think he is. Uh, I think his time as one of the best football managers in the world has passed. Mm-hmm. I think the style of football he wants to play is not productive for a club that wants to be in the Champions League spaces or wants to win another Champions League uh, I think this whole Mourinho, I've learnt my lessons since Manchester United and Chelsea and I'm a new more humble, hugging manager I think that's largely a facade that will be I'm basically waiting for that man to fail because I don't like that man <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's not a very professional thing to say, Mourinho is very good at Mourinho things and I don't think Mourinho things are good enough to win you a Premier League title anymore. Mm. Good enough to win you a Champions League space. Maybe. It looks like it. But that's a really good... That is... Spurs are a very unbalanced side right now. They need a new right back because Serge Aurier is... Ugh. <laughs> they could probably use a new left back. And you've got to bear in mind, Danny Rose will be leaving. Christian Eriksen will most likely leave. They could probably need another centre-back there mm-hmm. but there is an interesting what he's doing with, with Harry Kane and Deli Ali in particular is basically interesting he's got Son who I think is the best one of the best players in Europe on the counter-attack and I I've said it three or four times Real Madrid absolutely blew it when they went and bought Eden Hazard because they should have gone gone out and bought Son so uh, how, we've asked this question many times on the show like what tearing system do you rate him in because we see you know Sterling's Mane Salah you know, as the tier one, where would you put Son? Is he in that tier one? Is he upper tier two? Where where do you put him? Uh, it's, uh so tier ones and calling players world class is really interesting because 
obviously everyone defines world class differently. What I will say is Son is what yeah, Son is one of the best players in Europe on the counter attack. He uh he is really, really fast and direct with his dribbling, his passing supreme, and the great thing is he takes lots of shots and he takes lots of shots with confidence. Which mm. is a, one of those things that sounds really, really simple and if I something I can't really write down in an mm-hmm. article, because if I wrote it down, I'd sound like a moron. So I'd have to go out and get a football coach to say it because mm-hmm. they have authority. But the ability to take four or five shots in a game of football and have them all be of high quality and not to do it with like not lowering that quality, not be taking more speculative shots, but having mm-hmm. the conversation, you know what? This might work again. This might work again is really, really, really hard to do. And Son does it all the time. Mm-hmm. And he. Real Madrid should be kicking themselves. I get the the only issue with that though, um, uh, Carl, is the fact that of course Florentino Perez loves his Hollywood signings and these uh, Galactico <laughs> signings, right? So the, the brand there, and the right? profile of the not player. Buy the most, why would you not buy the man of South Korea? That's right, that's a brand new market. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Even from a business sense, why did they not go and get him? Mm-hmm. But that, that's me. And Spurs fans should always be happy that they didn't go for him because I think Son is he's. He's top 30 in Europe at what he does. Well, mm-hmm. he's top 30 in, in Europe, all blah, 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 blah. And I think he's top five in Europe at the very specific thing he does. Yeah. Yeah, I just want to pay mention to Wolves. I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about Tottenham. That's the end of their 11 game on beat and run. I just want to pay testament to Adama Traore because this is a game, this is a guy that, you know, his game looks fully packaged right now. I mean, that was his fourth goal in 26 appearances. Before that, it was two in 82 games. I mean, you can clearly see that um, opposition are targeting him. I think three of the Tottenham players got booked for fouling him. Mm-hmm. I was reading, I think Tim Spares, one of your colleagues, I was reading his piece about Wolves and he was saying that um, Connor Cody has to be going to like, you know, the referee's offices and, you know, saying that this is a tactic of the mm. opposition to stop our players. What are you going to do about it? And the officials are saying, you know what, we can only book them. They're not red card challenges, but it's interesting to see how his games evolved. And I think Michael Richard yesterday on Match of the Day was talking about mm. how Aston Villa, they didn't really rate him. They used to say, you know what, show him on the outside and he's going to whip the ball out of play. But now we can see that, you know, he's packaged now. He can do everything. So mm-hmm. how do you stop him? The only way to stop him is to foul well, him. And then he mm. also said that Aston Villa, he had injuries and that took his confidence away. Fair yep. point, fair point. Okay, I'm just looking at uh, the time now. Um, unfortunately, I know we, uh, 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 Carl, you, you, know, you know, you have uh, other bits that you want to sort of crack on with this, this evening. So we're not going to take any more of your time. Um, we just want to say yet again, uh, thank you so much for taking the time out. Of course, you could have been doing so many other things this evening, but you decided to uh, uh, spend this time with us and we really appreciate that. Uh, so thank you very much um, for that, Carl. For, for, for that. Nice one, Carl. Man. And of course, Love. when when, you, when you're next down in uh, in London, we should uh, definitely uh, meet up and and yeah. and yeah, do it do it do it in person. Maybe have a drink or or or, or uh, <laughs> you know maybe some lunch or something. Um, but yeah, really really uh, appreciate you 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 um, taking this time out to speak with us, Carl. It's been a pleasure, gentlemen. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Anchorman Six One Six. I write yeah. on the Athletic. Uh, mm-hmm. Full time as a Southampton reporter, but also I cover uh, FIFA football culture. I'm I am now furiously trying to track down a bunch of people that work behind the scenes and buy footballers stuff. So I'm mm-hmm. going to try and do a big feature for feature for that for 2020. Mm, uh, cool. And I'll look out for that. Yeah. All right then, Carl. Pleasure. Well, a nice one, Carl. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, so much, Carl. Safe. Right? Okay. Cool. Um, so now we're going to move on, and we're going to. Um, 
uh, very, very quickly and, and briefly uh, cover the, the Champions League, given the fact that the draw was, um, of course, announced um, uh, and, and, and the ties have, have, have now been um, released. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through each of the ties and, I'll, and you guys are going to have five seconds to tell me who wins uh, in each of these ties, okay? So you're not going to have too much time to think about it. Off the cuff, you're going to let me know who is going to be uh, the, the victor and, and proceed through to mm-hmm. the next round. Mm-hmm. Okay, first one. Uh, Dortmund versus PSG. Who wins that? I'm going to go with PSG. I'm not convinced on this Dortmund team and I think PSG just have too much firepower for them. Okay. Dej? Um, I think PSG are going to go through. I think this Dortmund defence, I don't think they've got the pace or power to be able to cope with the potency of, you know, Neymar, Mbappe and Icardi. Okay, next game. Uh, Real Madrid and Manchester City. Who wins Dej? This one's a tricky one because you can either go with European clout or you can go with the footballing ability. Right now, I'm leaning towards Manchester City. I think they'll be able to get it done over two legs. Um, I'm not fully convinced um, on this Man City team in Europe. So I feel that Real Madrid's know-how and their announce is going to prevail them in this tie. Cool. Next game, Atalanta and Valencia. Dot, who wins? I'm going to go with Atalanta. I think they're a dark horse in this competition. Mm-hmm. I like what I see from them. So I'm predicting them to beat Valencia over two legs. Dej? I'm going to go with Valencia. I think Valencia at the Mestalla, they can beat anyone. Mm-hmm. And I think Atlanta, from what I've seen against Manchester City, they mm-hmm. leave gaping holes at the back and mm-hmm. they're, you know, they attack too much. And I think, you know, Valencia will catch them on the counter. Okay. Next game, Atletico Madrid and Liverpool. Dej, take it away. Of course, you know, I'm going to back, man. I'm going to back Liverpool. I think this Atletico team, they're in the middle of a rebuild. And the last team you want to face when you're in the middle of a rebuild is this Liverpool side. I mean, they're averaging, you know, a goal a game this season. Defensively, they're not as cocksure. And I think Liverpool will pick them off over two legs. And obviously, they're going back to the scene of, you know, the sixth time. So it's going to be a nice one. <laughs> Yeah, I, th- Sorry. I think Simeone is in the final chapter of his story. Mm-hmm. Um, I see Liverpool beating them home in a way and I don't see Atletico Madrid scoring more than one goal in this tie. Okay, next game, uh, Chelsea and Bayern. Yeah, this is for me is another easy call. I think I'm going to go with Bayern Munich. I just think that this Chelsea team, they're a bit, you know, wet behind the ears. They're mm. a bit inexperienced and I think Bayern Munich's know-how and tactical nice is going to prevail in this tie. Okay. Um, yeah, just adding my input. Um, yeah, I think Bayern Munich will win. I think Chelsea, we're starting to see signs that, you know, the wheels are starting to fall off. But if you look at it differently, you can say this was to be expected. There was always going to be this, you know, rough patch. Um, but I think Bayern Munich, they're seasoned vets in the Champions League. And I think their experience and know-how will, will be enough. Okay. Uh, still with you, Dej. Uh, uh, Leon and Ju- Juve. This is probably another easy call. I'm going to go with Juventus. I mean, Leon as well. They're, you know, naive in European competition. I think Juventus is experienced. Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, Paolo Dybala. I think they'll come to the fore and I can see them beating Leon over two legs as well. What are your Home and away. Yeah, again, I'm just, you know, this is an easy one. I think the old lady are going to be too experienced for this Leon team. I see them, you know, winning this game comfortably, home and away. Okay, still with you, Dot. Uh, Spurs and RB Leipzig. Yeah, you know, sometimes I like to be a hipster, so I'm going to go with RB Leipzig <laughs> to knock out Spurs. Um, 
I feel that, you know, Sabitza, Timo Werner, who's having a season of his life, is going to shock Tottenham. And I see this Tottenham team crashing out early. Okay. Yeah, for me, to be honest, I'll go with RB Leipzig as well. I think doing what they're doing in Europe, I mean, you know, they're top of the Bundesliga, only losing two games this season. You know, they're away from home against Dusseldorf. I watched the game, you know, Patrick Schick, Timo Werner, you know, running amok. Mm -hmm. And I think, they might be a bit too energetic for this Tottenham I side. Mm-hmm. I think they're, you know, the informed team in Europe in many sense, obviously mm-hmm. other than Liverpool. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, Leipzig will go through. Okay. And to round things off, we've got Napoli and Barcelona. I think, you know, this one's easily to predict. I mean, we've already, you know, Napoli's issues are well documented, um, you know, struggling in the league. Mm-hmm. And I think Barcelona, you know, at this stage of the competition, they tend to come to life. But also, they've got bad memories of going to Italy and getting packed over by Rome as well. But I think they'll be able to navigate themselves through this time. I think the big question is, is Lionel Messi going to be fit? I think if Lionel Messi is not fit, I feel that this Napoli team are going to be in with a chance. Mm. You know, they've got a few months to get their house in order. And Napoli, they're a team that can be dangerous, especially at their home ground. So I'm going to edge with Barcelona, but it depends on the fitness of Lionel Messi. Okay, still with you, Dot. Who are your current favourites to lift that trophy come the end of it? I think the current European champions are the favourites who are Liverpool. Mm -hmm. I just feel that over two legs, I mean, Klopp, he hasn't lost a a European tie. I just feel that this team in all departments, they're too strong. And I can't really see any team beating them, them, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, This competition this season is, you know, the holy grail for Manchester City. We need to look at their squad. Will they be able to have, you know, Laporte fit? Sane, is he going to be back? If they're back, then I think they might say, you know what, let's forget the league. Let's put our eggs in one basket. Um, I don't know. I think Liverpool, you have to make them favourites. I mean, when you look across Europe, no one's posting up their results. No one's posting up their consistency. So I have to say Liverpool. Quick shout out to PSG because I think they're going to be a threat this season. So I see them going far as well. Fair point. All right. Um, Of course, we're deep into injury time, so we have to round things off with our favourite segment, which is, of course, the prospect of the week. Now, just a reminder to all those who are listening that the prospect of the week is not a good thing. The prospect of the week is a player or a manager or anyone within football who has had an absolute clangor this weekend. So baggy uh, touches, overhit passes, uh, rash challenges, poor managerial decisions. Um, we saw uh, Vishali um, recently uh, call out Correa uh, della Sport uh, in Italy for them having that clangor uh, on their front page. So it literally can be anyone within uh, football that's, 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 that's made a bad, a bad decision. And so with that being said... Um, we're gonna go. We're gonna start with you, Dot. Let us know this week who is your prospect of the week. Sorry, I'm making up my own rules. Um, does Frank <laughs> Lampard qualify? Yeah, Frank Lampard. Yeah, he's gonna. No, be no, no, I don't think he qualifies. He's still why a prospect. Second season of manager. If it's a player and they're their second full season of, a, would you put them up for prospect? I don't think so. I would. So, I would. Because, I personally because think when so. when Gaz put Trent up, it was it was okay. Mm-hmm. Nah, not in my opinion. I yeah. don't think. Frank Lampard qualifies in my opinion. I think that's harsh. First season in Premier League manager. Yeah, but Dave, if it was a player, harsh reality if, because if it's a let, young let player. me tell you, let me tell you why. Can I have my view? Am I no, no, to have no, my no, view? No. The reason why Frank Lampard is my prospect is because everyone was quick to praise Frank Lampard. So also Frank Lampard needs to be able to come under criticism, mm-hmm. and that's the reason why he's my prospect. When mm-hmm. Lampard was on top form, everyone was saying Frank Lampard is adapted to management like a fish to to water. Mm-hmm. A duck. 
Yeah, 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 yeah Dr. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. everyone was like, "Yeah, he's gonna be the next best thing." The way he's got the youngsters playing well, and at the end of the day, they fit a buffer and mm-hmm. they fit a stumbling block. So for me, Frank Lampard is my prospect of the week. Mm, that's a funny one. I mean, Trent, he's in his second season mm-hmm. of full football, Champions League winner. Frank Lampard, first season of you know Premier League managing. I think it's a bit harsh. Mm-hmm. If we saw a player come into the league first season, would you put them up for the prospect and their youngster? No. But anyway, moving on to my prospect of the week, it's going to be um, Dean Smith from Aston Villa. I mean, they've lost six of their last eight, mm-hmm. three on the spin, conceded all of their 22 goals out of 30 in the second half. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's having a rotten time of things, in my opinion. And mm-hmm. I think the way they're going, Aston Villa are probably going to get relegated because <laughs> they're not scoring. <laughs> Defensively, they look shot. Mm-hmm. Tyrone Mings, probably their best centre-halves, injured. Mm-hmm. So it's looking like a bit of a crisis at the moment. Well, so, Dej, why... Dean Smith, you're my prospect of the week. What, so, Dej, why is Dean Smith the prospect of the week when that's a game you expect Sheffield United to possibly win? He's my prospect because of the manner of the defeat. I mean, no shots on target. Yeah, but like Sheffield United said, is a tough game. Of course it's a tough game, but I'm talking about, you know, as I mentioned, six, losing six out of the last eight games. Mm-hmm. You have to look at a holistic type So of when game. I'm looking at Frank Lampard holistically, this is Dean Smith's first season in the Premier League. No, but he's an experienced manager. Matter, but Frank Lampard, is... let, let me talk. This is my prospect. <laughs> yeah, so as I was saying, this is his mm-hmm. second full season of management. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I watch the lower leagues. Mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, Dean Smith at Brentford. Mm-hmm. I've seen him make his way in the league. So he's yeah. an experienced manager. Mm-hmm. That's the whole premise of the point. Mm-hmm. So Dean Smith, you're my prospect of the week. <laughs> very, very interesting takes this week. Um, and as always, we definitely want to hear from you guys. Do you agree? Um, is is it fair to call uh, Frank Lampard a prospect first of the season, week? First season, you know, that's in harsh, first man. season, we want to hear from you. Do you ad- uh, agree or disagree both with, with Dot and Dej? Um, make sure you use the hashtag TBG pod if you are sharing your view on the prospect of the week uh, with us. Um, as always, uh, continue to help us to grow the platform um, by sharing the content amongst your friends, family members, uh, work colleagues, amongst your group chats on work, email threads and all of the rest of it. We have content across all platforms, Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Apple Podcasts. And if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure you leave a five-star review. Um, if you're not yet following our Twitter handle, it's at podcast underscore TBG. And on Insta, it's at pod underscore TBG. We, of course, have a very, very special Christmas giveaway that we've got live at the moment. So if you're not familiar with that yet, make sure you check out uh, both our, um, our our social media profiles. So on Twitter and on Instagram, and you can find all of the details on how to enter uh, on those pages. So make sure you do. You're in with a chance to win a £250. Yes, I said it. £250 Selfridges voucher, which comes right in the nick of time uh, ahead of Christmas, of course. So to get your hands on that, make sure you enter the competition. Uh, with that being said, I'm looking over at Dot, making sure I've covered every oh, by base. By the way, but people are trying to make under the table payments. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Shout out to uh, uh, I am Lex uh, uh, for, for that one. To you MK, know. to, to try MK, all these yeah, people. Yeah, yeah, everyone's trying it. Some but... people are trying to make some new accounts to enter, man, to make sure they got a chance. We're keeping our eyes open, man. Of course, of course, of course. We're keeping our eyes out uh, for that. We're not accepting any under the table payments. No brown envelopes, please. 
Um, we're going to keep it uh, straightforward, and 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 the winner will be the winner uh, because they entered the competition and did things the right way. Okay. Um, so really quickly before we sign out, we're really we're going to go around the table and we're all going to share our uh, at handles. So Dot, do you want to kick things off? LFC Nino, I've been saying it weekly. I'm celebrating the you know Liverpool League title. So yeah, come and join me, man. You're more than welcome. Uh, Dej underscore TBG. 30 years of pain out of the window and I mean in not Liverpool fashion as well mm-hmm. Liverpool we normally struggle mm-hmm. Istanbul mm-hmm. you know losing the title by a wince mm-hmm. you know almost being on the end of knocking you know getting knocked out by Barcelona winning the Champions League mm-hmm. but this looks like it's going to be a doddle and I'm enjoying <laughs> it Dej can I make one final point sorry guys Dej remember when Jurgen Klopp took charge yeah I said if he can't win the Premier League for Liverpool no one can and you know Fair it point. looks like you know the inevitable is mm. going to happen so we'll be watching with bated breath right and my handle is at Budge Laguna so make sure you follow the podcast handle as well as our individual ones we will catch you on the next episode over and out peace Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.